Father in heaven, this is your hour that we have together. You have seen it before it was ever created. You gave us this moment to be together. And so we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. You promised that where Jesus is present, I mean, where two or three are present, that Jesus is there. And so that's our request, is that this time would be taken over by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that you would speak to the hearts of each person that are here individually, that you will help us to hear the unique, distinct voice that you want to say to us through your word, through your principles, and that we would know how to put it into practice, that our time would not be wasted in any way, but that um, the seed would plant deep and that each of us would grow further in the measure of Christ, that we would know how to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting with right next door. And so we lift up to you the many, many people who have come to North America, the Afghani, the Muslim, um, Iraqi, the Buddhists from Bhutan, from Myanmar, animists, the secular people from China, from beyond. And we ask that you would give us your heart for them today, that we would be able to feel the passion that Jesus Christ has for those who have not had a chance to know you. Come and be with us and be with those that are still on their way. Bless them as they come and join us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just give my background very briefly. We have spent 16 years of our lives in Southeast Asia. We're headed over there in two weeks, so we're still a part of it, even though we're living now in Berrien Springs, Michigan. I'm working with ASAP Ministries, which used to stand for Adventist Southeast Asia Projects, working with the many refugees that came out of Laos and Myanmar. And, okay, thank you. And Cambodia. Vietnam and into Thailand and then on into America and other places. And so that's how we are connecting even though we moved back from living overseas, we're able to be part of that special ministry and go and help with training about 600 lay or national missionaries that we work with there doing church planting, medical work, uh, working with literacy teaching for those that's one of the best things you can do to help a country is teach the mothers to read and write. We're involved with feed and read schools, getting children off the streets of Phnom Penh and into, um, into the schools where they can have a free meal and Christian education. Um, I'm very excited to be going back to be there. Our son, our Cambodian son, is just, um, his wife has given birth to a little baby, so I've become a grandpa. Don't feel quite ready for that. Um, so our background is cross-cultural missions. And grew up in California, pastored in the Bay Area uh, in a multicultural church. And so the Lord has led us to have these experiences. And as we started to come back to America, we had that feeling of, I shouldn't be doing this. The work's out there that needs to be finished. I can't go back. I speak Cambodian. I speak Thai. I should stay there. But we felt it was time to, for our parents' sake, for our children's sake, education level at at college. Um, Daughter had been homeschooled all the way through high school. And, and so we began to pray, Lord, what are we going to be doing there in America? The land with so many churches, with, with English bookstores and, and radio and television programs already. And the Lord began to reopen our eyes. I remember, um, remember landing for a meeting at the General Conference in Washington, D.C. area. And I wanted to pick up some goodies for my family. This was when we were still living in Thailand. And as I went to um, Target to pick something up, I looked and I saw a tall, big man, Asian, dressed in an orange robe. I knew immediately that he was a Buddhist monk, but I wondered where he was from. Because I had been praying for many years as director of the Buddhist Study Center for Adventist Mission for Bhutan. Bhutan is this tiny landlocked country.
country next to India and Bangladesh and Myanmar, that area, Nepal. And unentered by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Little work on the border. But we've been praying for this very hardcore Buddhist country uh, where you can't even climb the mountains because they're considered holy. And I looked and I saw and I thought, I wonder if he's Bhutanese. Went up to him, talked to him, and sure enough, here he was, living in America, open and ready for someone to share the gospel with him. As we look at the 7,276 unreached people groups yet in the world without any Christian witness, nobody who can speak their language, we wonder how is the work of God going to be finished, right? I mean, this is, this is not small. Praise the Lord for everything that's happening. This time is so exciting to see what God is doing. But the figure remains. And it is, that is just representing where there is no Christian witness, let alone a Seventh-day Adventist presence preaching the three angels' messages. What is God's end-time strategy? How is he going to finish it? Well, we could spend a long time thinking and praying about that. But three major summaries that we all know about are Acts 1, verse 8. It will be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his church, transforming our lives, working through us in a mighty way as at the day of Pentecost and beyond. We will see him move and finish his work. That deserves much study, much prayer. There's also a disciple multiplying strategy in Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. This great commission has built into it the very way Jesus intends the work to be done. As we go, not sitting, but as we go, we are to teach people to observe, calling them to obey. We are to lead people to a deep conversion, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are to make disciples in the way Christ did, which if we had time to look at it, takes from what we could do. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into that now. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other area at our website. I can share with you some of the things there that I believe God is going to do at the end. But he has a specific plan. And Matthew 9, verse 38 tells us he has specifically promised if we will pray for him to raise up labors for the harvest, he will do so. So these are three key things that we know God is going to work mightily through at the end of time. But that's not what we're going to spend most of our focus on, even though we'll touch on all three of those in some way. There's another one we seldom see, and that we can find also there in Acts chapter 2. Verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. How is it, they said, verse 8, that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? We know that miracle of the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples to speak in a way that everybody heard in their own language. But what about the idea that God had brought them all to one place? Is he doing that again? In America, in the United States, we have two new legal immigrants coming in every single minute. More than a million a year, not to count the illegal ones. That is a lot of people who have just come and in their transition are wide open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to loving care. We were told about 100 years ago in evangelism, page 570, we should be able to see in the multiplying opportunities, and they have multiplied since that day, to reach many foreigners in America, a divinely appointed means of rapidly, rapidly extending the third angel's message into all the nations of earth. 
God in his providence has brought men to our very doors and thrust them, as it were, into our arms that they might learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues. There is so much packed into that quote. It is so amazing. This is God's strategy. His hand was in bringing the nations to our earth, to to our land, to America, so that this gospel might be shared. He's had to thrust them into our arms because we're busy, because we're not thinking about it. But the Catholics, the Baptists, many others have been there right at the airport to receive them off the plane and to care for them and then to fellowship with them. Where have we been? Some have been there, and we'll share about that in a few moments. But this is clearly his plan, and they will do a work we could not do. Would you like to be a missionary in Saudi Arabia today? Mm, Maybe not. You might last a day or two. You might not get killed. You'd likely be sent out on the next plane. But the people you shared with, what about them? God has brought them here. 20 of the largest unreached people groups are here in huge numbers. Okay, so these are major unreached groups that we have no Seventh-day Adventist presence. They're here in large numbers, plus many others in small numbers. Almost a million international students are here in the United States and Canada studying. They are either the leaders of the world or the future leaders of the world. The previous Egyptian uh, president had studied here. The present vice president of Taiwan studied here. The king of Bahrain studied here. Who befriended them? Who brought them into their homes? They're here especially from China, India, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia. 75% will go back to their countries having never entered an American's home. 80% will never have walked into a single Christian church. That needs to change. God has a plan. 70,000 refugees, a smaller group, but a very important group, come into our country every year. We can know exactly where they're going to land, what city they're going to be living in, at least for the first few months. And we can be there to take them off the airplane and help them find, uh, and help them begin to adjust. It's interesting that there's only 5% difference of those who went to a church as they went into a Mm. Isn't that a, that's an, a powerful connection? That few, the, the difference between the 75 and the 80 percent, very, very close. Many of these refugees are coming from countries where it is very hot. And I don't mean temperature-wise, I mean persecution-wise. These are the top 12 areas for persecution. North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Maldives, Mali, Iran, Yemen, Eritrea, Syria, and Sudan. And many of those have come to the United States of America in the last 10 years. Did you know one-sixth of Bhutan, close to one-sixth of Bhutan, has moved into America in the last year, in the last 10 years? So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this amazing opportunity that God has given us to be missionaries right here in America? People say, I always wanted to be a missionary like you, but my wife didn't want to go. Or I was in debt. Or I I had to take care of my parents. Or you can be a missionary right here. And God says the first thing that we should be doing is praying. We're told in Manuscript Releases, volume volume 9, page 303, 
The promise is made. We're talking about the promise. Where two or three are gathered, God is especially there. Not just where one, but where more. The promise is made on condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. And in answer to these prayers, there may be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. The power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love for God and for one another. So he calls us to pray. We said earlier one of his strategies is that we pray for laborers to enter the harvest. I am praying that at ASI at this time right now and at GYC and at every time we gather that God will begin to stir his people in North America to reach the world that he sent so the work can be finished. He's going to raise them, but let's come together. In your churches as you go home, pick up one of these booklets or look at it online at reachtheworldnextdoor.com. Praying for the world next door. If you will pray for 30 days, then pick up one of these for free at the end and take it home. If you want to start a small group at your church praying, you've looked around, you say, we have a lot of Vietnamese in our community. Well, we're in Fremont. We have more Afghanis than anywhere except Afghanistan. I think we better do something about it. Then call a group together and begin to pray. And Jesus will open the way to reach those people praying for the world next door it will take you to some other websites you can go to the joshua project and find out exactly who is here in america and if you don't know who the are or the Arahi or the algerian or i'm not pronouncing them correctly surely then you can read about them and god can begin to move your heart about 22 years ago julie and i I had no interest in being a missionary. She had an interest because she'd been as a student missionary. And we began to see that the work was not near finished. And we began to pray, Lord, put a people on our hearts. And he put Cambodia on our hearts. And they're still there. And that's why we're excited to go back in just a little bit. After you pray, you begin to say, Lord, where are they? Who are they? What's in our community? And at our website and on our cross-cultural training kit, you will find ways to go out into your community and find them. Just on that little smartphone, you can begin to look it up. Where are the refugees going? Are there any in my city? Oh, there's a hundred here from Iraq. Wow, didn't even notice them. Wow. So we can go on. Do a search there. Let's see. What kind of ethnic restaurants? We got a Cambodian restaurant here. Cambodian Thai restaurant. That sounds delicious. Okay, besides the delicious, what about the people serving? We went to Thai food last night for a friend's, um, friend's birthday, hoping to say, Sawati cup, Sabaydi my cup. They said, I'm sorry, I don't speak Thai. <laughs> well, you look like it. They were Hmongs. They were Hmongs. They said, oh, okay, I have good friends. I work with a Hmong. Um, they're out there. We can find them. As we went to a restaurant, um, not a restaurant, a little donut shop. Those are good places to go. Yeah, they're in California when we were living there. My son and I were looking, looking for people. Sure enough, she was Cambodian. We began to bring by Cambodian lessons we had written over there in Cambodia when we were there and began to get acquainted. She had her baby. We sent a little gift. Then we moved, and I still have their email contact. Um, but they're there. We can find them. What about in the universities, the university nearby? All it takes is going and calling and saying, can you tell me about the international students here? I'd like to help out maybe one hour a week teaching them English. Oh, sure, let me tell you about who's here. And we have an organization on campus, and yeah, you can volunteer. We really need someone to take them during, during Christmas break, just, you know, just for a day so they can enjoy an American family. You know, it's not hard to find them. You can find them. If you really want to get brave, sign up to 
to have a student be with you in your home for the year. There are organizations that will take and place them right in your home, and you can share with them. Our church members, Ron and Kathy Bush, decided to do this. They connected with Japan. They had a student in their home. Two or three years, they decided to do it. One year, it was kind of tough. He was an atheist. He gave them a lot of, a lot of hassle about their beliefs, but they kept loving him, and he still keeps in touch with them. Another year, as they ministered, as they shared, as they went through their life and showed the gospel, that man became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He's a Japanese pastor in San Francisco today. What we can do is just amazing as the Lord gives us opportunity. So begin to pray. Begin to walk around and look. We came back from Thailand. The food is better over there than in your Thai restaurants here. And it's a whole lot cheaper. I said tonight, last night to Julie, just stick an extra zero on the end of any price we'd pay in Thailand. And that's what it is here. So we don't go to too many restaurants. But we were in California. My daughter's boyfriend was visiting. We wanted to take him out to eat. So we took him down the hill to a Thai restaurant we'd never gone to. And, but I have to tell you beforehand, there's a friend of ours in Thailand. Her name is Supin. She's like a daughter. And she's taken care of our children, been in our home. Before we left Thailand, she said, I have a sister in America. And I'd like you to say hi to her. And we said, well, we'd love to. That's exciting. Where does she live? Oh, I don't know. But when you see her, please tell her hi. <laughs> well, we laughed and we laughed and the Lord was laughing too because as we walked into the restaurant, somebody said, Achan Sakat, Teacher Scott. And I looked up and there was this little Asian girl. She ran over. She gave us a hug. She said, Peace Supin, Supin's my sister. Oh, wow. oh, and the tears poured down our faces. This is the love of Jesus. He loves these people. He wants them in heaven. He will miss them for eternity if they are not in heaven. And so he says to us, pray and go and search, and I will lead you to somebody like I led Philip to the Ethiopian. Amen? We got into her home. We visited with them. We became friends with her children. Her husband, he said to me, I just want you to know my wife's a Christian, but I'm not. I'm an animist. My father is, and I can't betray him by becoming a Christian. Okay? Thank you. He ended up later in jail because he was being too nice to his sister and helping her grow marijuana. He knew he shouldn't, but he did, and he got in jail, and she did not. I just talked with him on the phone. He said, you know that big Bible you gave me? I'm on page 800. He said, it's pretty boring. I said, hang in there. You're almost to the stories about Jesus. Keep praying. Keep praying. Well, he said, remember, I told you I'm not an animist. I said, I know, but God loves you too. Pray to him. Talk to him. He is. And we'll see what happens. So when you meet them, care for their needs. It's a simple. We won't spend much time talking about it. You're Seventh-day Adventist. You know what it means to care about the whole person. But at our website, reachtheworldnextdoor.com, it's on each of the cards that's in front of you. Pick up several of those cards as you go because they each have different statistics. Share them with other people here at ASI. But there's a whole bunch of ideas for how to really care for refugees in particular and also for international students. You can meet them at the airport. It's really not hard. Um, you can rake leaves with them. Teach them how to wear warm clothes. They come from Southeast Asia. It's so hot. They put on a coat when it's 75 degrees out. They land here in the middle of winter, and they have to learn to drive on the icy roads. They're trying to get used to how to use an ATM machine. Some come from cities and are doctors. 
Others come from refugee camps and have never been out of that camp since they were born. There are so many things that you can do to bless them and love them. Judy Aiken, the founder of ASAP Ministries, who sent us out 20 years ago to work in the refugee camps, who we work with now. Her daughter Jolene and her family, the Rosenbergs, live in Albany, New York. Their whole family is absorbed in caring for, for refugees. Sometimes their children come up and say, Mommy, we can't buy that. My friend doesn't have a coat for winter. We need to get that for them instead. This family has made ministry their life. They spend their nights. He goes out. He's an engineer. But he's underneath trailers, mobile home trailers, trying to help these people fix their frozen pipes. Because why? Because they can't afford to call a plumber. Do you know the refugees they get here? Within three months, they have no more government support. Okay? They have to pay back their ticket that was paid for them to fly here. There are some services that will carry on a little longer that they can access if they know how. If somebody helps them walk through because they're learning English. They need a friend. They need someone to care. And we can do that. You'll find more stories at my podcast at reachtheworldnextdoor.com. Um, I do a weekly podcast called Reach the World ASAP. Um, and there are some of the stories about reaching out to refugees there. A lot of these stories are also about Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, because we're helping people know the needs and helping to raise the support for that. But you can sign up for there or go to the YouTube channel. As we reach out to those people, we may be surprised to stumble across some Seventh-day Adventists. Our friends over here in Battle Creek were surprised. Um, they suddenly saw a few individuals attending church. They're at the Big Dime Tabernacle Church. Big Adventist history there. This couple, they, um, they saw them just coming in. And so they began to find out and reach out to them, arrange for there to be a Sabbath school room downstairs. Um, you recognize them. They've attended ASI for years. Um, so they helped them set up a classroom. Notice the children were struggling in the Sabbath school room because they didn't understand English. So they worked with the teachers to begin to use more stories and more pictures and speak more simply. They began to visit the homes of these people and teach them the songs in English. They opened up the English hymn book. They found a Burmese hymn book. And there they began to teach them English using the hymns of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They're all around us. They're here. As Jimmy Shui, my friend from Thailand, a church planter in that country, he left Thailand, and I was mad at him. I said, what is he doing leaving the mission field and going to America? So a few years back, and I found out he was contacting all the Karen. They've been under fire in Myanmar for years, 30, 40. It's the longest civil war going on that I know of, and many have died. They've fled to the refugee camps in Thailand. Many have moved to America, thousands in the last seven years. And Jimmy Shui has been following them up. Oh, here's a group. Here's a few Seventh-day Adventists over there. There are now 30 groups worshiping across North America. This is our greatest refugee immigrant, refugee success story that I know of for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But others, I just talked to my friend. Maybe he'll be here. I'll wait on that one until he comes from Mongolia. Jimmy Shui, we just had camp meeting together over in New York. 
Union Springs Academy opened their doors. A group of three, four hundred Corinne came from all over the United States. Some have been here for many years. Um, Trudy Starlin's parents here. Uh, others have just arrived and can't speak English. An army of youth was being trained there, and we had such a good time. They sang so beautifully, passionately. We met with the young people. They're struggling with the generation gap. Mom and dad can't speak English yet. Kids, they can translate for them. But they're caught up in the world. They're caught up in the culture. They're so excited to be here. They need someone to help them think through. How do we deal with culture? How do we, what's the good of Korean culture we shouldn't lose? What's the bad that we can let go? What's the good of America culture? What's the bad that we should let go? So they're here. This is a family. They're Chin from Myanmar. They're right here in Grand Rapids, meeting in the... Um, What's the church? It's, it's Wyoming church nearby. Uh, so they're all around. We just must watch. Although some of you may say, wait a minute, I am not seeing any. And there aren't any really around me. And sounds like a neat idea, but, you know, I, I can't find any. Well, maybe you will. But if not, relocate your job. Ask the Lord to send you to a new city. Research online. Where did all the Iraqis go? Oh, there's a bunch of... Detroit, there's a bunch in Los Angeles, Glendale area. I think I'll see what jobs are available there. Move your family strategically for missions, just not clear around the other side of the world. But right here, it might be a little easier. Teach English locally. I'm not an English teacher, you say. Neither was my daughter at age 12, my son at age 10, my little boy at three and four. But there in Thailand, we talk to people. We made friends. We had little classes. We taught them what they needed to know, which is things like, how much does this cost? Where's the bathroom? Important things. You can do that here. For the young people, are you in a university? Seventh-day Adventists or non-Seventh-day Adventists? Do you have a heart for the internationals that are there? I went to school at PUC, Walla Walla, Andrews. I wasn't watching. I went to school with a Thai, with a Cambodian. It didn't cross my mind that they needed to be strengthened or maybe reached. We have here at Andrews University Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus. But what about at the secular universities? How many Waldensian-type young people will rise up and go out and go strategically, not alone, but as a group? Let's move to Purdue University. Let's plan to reach the world for Christ right there. Let's strengthen each other and let's learn how to reach them. So how do we do it? Promised in the, in the little blurb about the seminar that I would share with you a four-step method. Four points, just simple, so that you can have that confidence to interact with anybody. So in the context of Christian love, in the context of caring for their needs, of going out there and meeting them, I want you to think with me of four things. If you do not, anybody does not have a handout yet? Okay, everybody's got one. He doesn't have one there. There's some right in the back at the very corner there. So if anyone else wants to grab a handout, they're right there towards the back. But I'm not going to read through it, and better not for you to read through it right now. But the four points are there if you want to look at them more. Um, the first point is listen. Right? Say, whoa, look at this Hindu. I don't think I have anything to say to them, and I'm a little scared even to talk to her. But Hindus come in different forms and sizes, right? This one looks a little more normal. She's there in Andrews, friend of ours. She's actually not Hindu, Seventh-day Adventist, but um, good for the picture anyway. Blessing. What I want to mean by this is that when you meet a Hindu, 
All you need to be able to do is ask some questions and listen. You don't have to know about Hinduism at all. Might help. You might be able to ask more intelligent questions. But if you don't, it's okay. Ask questions. (laughs) So, uh, for instance, on my street in Cambodia, when we were missionaries there, Buddhists on one side, they were from France. They'd come back. They were wealthy. They were secular. They were Buddhists. Buddhists on the other side of the street next to our house, they were had a shrine. They were very poor. They had a shrine, and he was very faithful, and he worshipped it every day. He made offerings every day. He was more Hindu than Buddhist. He was into the powers. He was into asking for help. Down the street, another one. I'm a Buddhist, yes. Goes to the temple once a year. That's all. Another one, he says, yeah, I'm Buddhist, but I don't believe in any of that supernatural stuff. It's a philosophy for me. So the point is simply listen. Listen to understand their religion. And of course, listen to know their heartaches, their needs, what's going on in your life, their life. This is not only Christian care, just a loving thing to do, but it is that foundation upon which you will build whatever you share next. If you don't know them, if you don't understand, how can you really find the peace of the gospel that they need at that moment? Too often we're so eager to talk, so eager to speak, that we don't have a clue what we're saying and like our children many times, when we haven't bothered to understand or feel their heart, we're telling them what they ought to know, they're not listening until they know that we care. Ministry of Healing 157, sympathize with them in their trials, their heartaches and disappointments. This will open the way for you to help them. Simple step, very important. Second step, affirm similarities. See there a man interacting with a Jewish man. We have so much in common. I believe that God has especially entrusted the Seventh-day Adventist Church with a message that perfectly matches the similarities and the needs of every world religion. Think about it for a moment with me. Our Jewish brothers and sisters, isn't that one of the most obvious? We share the whole entire, what we call the Old Testament, their law, their prophets, the songs, the poetry. The Sabbath, you go to, there's there's a a lovely ministry, I can't think of it at the moment, I just met him at the last um, local ASI chapter. They're doing a ministry among Jews in Jerusalem. People say to them, okay, so you keep the Sabbath, but that's just because you're here in Jerusalem, right? I mean, that's what lots of these Protestant groups that are trying to reach us do. No, our people around the world, from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, stop what they're doing. Put aside the things of the world and spend the time with God, thinking about their creator, thinking about how all of life comes with them, and spending time with their family, enjoying the goodness of God. Do you think that will speak to a Jewish brother or sister? Somebody who maybe has forgotten to take time on that day, who's caught up in making money? There's so many secular Jews in America, but there are also many who are deeply religious. We have much in common. What about with others? Well, let me pause for a moment for a quote. In laboring in a new field, do not think it's your duty to say at once to the people, we are Seventh-day Adventists. We believe that the seventh day is the Sabbath. We believe in the non-immortality of the soul. This would often erect a formidable barrier between you and those you wish to reach. Speak to them as you have opportunity upon points of doctrine on which you can agree. Dwell on the necessity of practical godliness. Give them evidence that you are a Christian, desiring peace 
and that you love their souls. Let them see that you are conscientious. Thus, you will gain their confidence, and there will be time enough for doctrines. I encourage you to read that whole passage again, Gospel Workers 119 to 120. It's packed, isn't it? Give evidence that you're a Christian. When we say affirm similarities, we don't just mean with your words, yeah, I keep the Sabbath like you do. Live it. Invite them to join you. Let them feel your passion, your compassion. Many, many areas that they can see that. Thus, they will see that you are truly conscientious. Um, what about Hindus? Buddhists? Let me back up to Muslims for a minute. It said there in the quote we just looked at a moment ago, it said, do not feel that you need at once to say you're a Seventh-day Adventist. I have friends who when they meet a Muslim and they say, are you a Christian? They'll say, no. What? Well, what does he think by a Christian? A pig-eating, alcohol-drinking, womanizing person who's happy with the politics that take and thrust might on nations for the sake of oil. Are you a Christian like that? No, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, what's that? Well, we believe in one true creator God that made everything. And that he, because he made us, we should live in total submission to him. Everything we do, we should be asking him what would he want us to do. And we believe that, that because of that, we ought to treat our body like a, a holy place. A place where people worship. We don't take and throw garbage in, and so we don't drink alcohol. We don't eat unclean meats. You know, things that would defile us like pig. And, wait, wait a minute, you're a better Muslim than I am. Some have said in response so we bring to the forefront the things that we hold in common we speak of those things well, what if they're worshipping false gods I mean Muslims and, and Muslims and Jews it's one thing we share one true God in common and, and, and the Quran even points them back to the word of God the Bible what about Hindus and Buddhists the people of the world Christ Object Lessons, page 299, are worshiping false gods. They are to be turned from their false worship, not by hearing denunciation of their idols, but by beholding something better. God's goodness is to be made known. Ye are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Hindus and Buddhists, we share much in common, but not in the area of God, not in the area of salvation, in the area of morality. If you were to study Buddhism, I have not delved deeply, but I've been with it for 16 years. I understand and know about their eightfold path, noble path, right thinking, right speech, right thoughts, right actions, right livelihood. On and on it goes, purifying the mind of every defiling thought, grasping for this world's goods, knowing it's all going to go away. Why would you do that? Put it aside. Think about the things that last. Live your life in simplicity and harmony honor your parents and on and on it goes Hindus in their depth of spirituality walk into the country you can feel their devotion to their religion their belief in the supernatural is intense it's strong it's real they live it that is the seventh day Adventist isn't it that side of us where we know the supernatural is real we pay attention to it we talk about the great controversy we are seeking to purify our minds to have the seal of God upon our foreheads this are, these are the connections. When we talk about the Sabbath, how do we get there? How do we go? We'll come back to that in a moment. But we are called to affirm those similarities. I was on a train coming down from Chiang Mai in the north of Thailand to Bangkok to teach the pastors about reaching out to Buddhists and to learn from them. And my family was with me. We were on a sleeper train. 
And my little boy was up running around, just size 10 now. He was little then. And after a while, he came back and he said, Daddy, I think you need to take over now. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've been talking to a Buddhist monk and we've become good friends. And I showed him my little book, Clean Heart, Naughty Heart. But I think you better take over now. So I put my stuff aside, came down and made friends with this young monk. And as we talked and interacted a little bit, he had questions on his mind. He was interested. And he, as we talked, he came up with one big question. He said, I don't understand it. Why do Christians say you can sin, sin, sin some more, and God will just keep forgiving you? It's okay. He was looking at the West. He saw Hollywood. He saw politics. He saw materialism, greed. And he said, this is Christianity. And, and beside, I hear that God just forgives you. This is immoral. This is bad. I would not step down to this. And I had the privilege of sharing with him the true message of the gospel. That not only is there forgiveness, but there is the transformation of the heart. That Jesus on the cross, and I began to share with him the truth of Jesus on the cross. And how he took the selfishness of everybody. And I shared with him the beauty of the cross of Christ. Because I had shared before about the cross with somebody, with a Buddhist. I'll come back to that if there's time. I'll leave it alone for now. It's on the podcast. But with that monk, as he was sitting there listening to the fact that Jesus, that true salvation was about getting rid of selfishness, purifying the heart and becoming a compassionate person. Remember 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14? And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for him. The Bible teaches us that our self was there, that I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. This is what Buddhists are seeking for. And his eyes became bright. There was something new. There was something beautiful in the Christian message. So we start with our similarities, but we can't stop there. If we only stay on similarities, we're just doing interfaith friendliness. We must go on to the differences because they are salvation differences. Because the Father is not known to the Buddhist and the Hindu in his beauty, in his purity, in his greatness of character. But how do we do it so we don't have to enter into conflict? Yes, sometimes there will be conflict. There will be a sword that comes, but we're not to start there. As far as possible, be at peace. And the way to share differences is through stories. It doesn't take long. It just takes one experience of Jesus casting the evil spirits out of your lives for Jesus to say, go and tell what God has done for you. And we are told that our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. We are to acknowledge his grace as made known through the holy men of old. So we're supposed to tell Bible stories too. Tell stories, tell stories, tell the differences through stories. But that which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. We are witnesses for God as we reveal in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. Every individual has a life distinct from all others and an experience differing essentially from theirs. That means you have no excuse. Your story is so unique, so special, you're like a snowflake that has to be seen that is beautiful and there will never be another like it. It doesn't matter if your story is tiny. Watch and pray for the person who needs it. These precious acknowledgments to the praise of the glory of his grace when supported by a Christ-like life have an irresistible power that works for the salvation of souls. Do you want to be irresistible? Then ask for the righteousness of Christ to be in you. Everything Jesus was in character is yours for the asking by the power of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Then when combined with you telling the story of what Jesus has done for you, little though it may be, you learn to stop yelling at your wife. 
Okay, that's a miracle. That's your testimony. He gave you greater patience for your kids. He stopped, helped you stop doing something that you knew was wrong and finally gave you victory. Desire of Ages 347. Irresistible. This is my friend. You can't see him well there. Sorry, the picture's not good. That's Mankun. I love this man. He's a carpenter. He's worked on our property in Ayutthaya, Thailand. Um, helped me to salvage my house so it wasn't destroyed by termites. They are really wicked. Wonderful symbol of sin. And he was a symbol of salvation. And anyway, as we shared our stories, we shared various things. I would share Bible stories. There was a huge flood. So as we were bouncing around in the back of the truck trying to help somebody, I told him the story of Noah and the flood. He heard his stories, bits and pieces here and there. You don't have to tell all your stories at once, all your testimonies, unless you're on the train or on the plane. You won't see them soon. Then pick that one the Lord wants you to bring in, or the two or three. But I just have seen it every time, wherever I go. Stories are what God uses. But if you just tell stories, it's not enough. It's still there's point number four, and that is that we need to invite to an experience. If we just leave it there, it's nice stories. But God is wanting them to act on it. He wants that seed of truth tucked away. He doesn't want the birds stealing it, the weeds growing up around it. So he calls us to ask them for decisions. Pamphlet 118, page 2. The secret of our success and power will be found in making direct personal appeals to those who are interested, having unwavering reliance upon the Most High. A simple request does not have to be a long 15-minute appeal at the end of a sermon. It can be as simple as, may I pray for you? Somebody's just poured out their heart to you about their marriage that's falling apart. You've listened. You've affirmed the importance of being a faithful husband, being faithful and kind. You've shared your story about how God has helped you and your own marriage to come together, or maybe a friend whose marriage almost dissolved and God brought it back together. And then you say to them, I'm going to have to go now. But can I pray for you that God will help your marriage? Sure. I don't know who he's praying to, but sure. I need the prayers, all the prayers I can get. You know, there they are. They're in Sri Lanka. I saw it on the wall in the restaurant. There was Buddha. There was Ganesh from India. And there was um, Jesus. Never mind that they don't know who you're praying to. Never mind that they're also praying to someone else. Let God answer your prayer. And pray for that marriage. Hand them a little scripture straight out of Ephesians. This is a scripture from a holy book. Read this over before every time before you see your wife. You're mad at her. You're upset with her, what she's doing, how she's running off on you. You're upset. You're angry back. Before you talk to her, read this. What, is, what does it say? Husbands, love your wives as your own body. Yeah, you wouldn't hit yourself, would you? No. Comb your hair, take a bath every day? Yes. How, how much have you cared for your wife as you care for your body? Oh, okay, I see your point. Okay, maybe I do have some fault in this marriage falling apart. Okay, so you're inviting them to an experience, a little thing. Yeah. Sabbath. Sabbath. I think my quote that I wanted is not there, but it's, it's somewhere, and maybe we'll see it later. Ellen White says, the best thing that can be done for the heathen, a non-politically correct word, I suppose, the pagan, the heathen, but the reality of those who are without Christ without salvation the best thing you can do is to share about God through nature take them into nature do things with them in God's creation 
powerful. It's true. It's second book. It's there. God can be known, Romans 1 says, so clearly through nature that people are without excuse. Have you thought of that? That God can be known that well through nature that people are without excuse? So don't bang them with it. Invite them on a Sabbath. Say, you've been so stressed out lately. Man, you know, you just, you, you really, you know, you high blood pressure and you said, you said your kids are mad at you and don't want to be around you. And you told me yourself you haven't had time with them in several months. How about you bring your family and join us? We do something called Sabbath experience. What's that? Well, we go out in nature Saturday afternoons. We take the whole family. We just walk through the park or we go out in the countryside and we learn what we can from nature and it helps our family. We learn lessons that actually help our family. Really? Oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. Will you join us this week? No, I don't have time this week. All right, get out your calendar. When do you have time? Okay, three weeks from now I can do it. Okay, it's a date. You take them out into nature with your family. You do what you do on Sabbath afternoons with your kids. You gather lessons from nature, from the leaves. Wow, what do leaves do? Well, they take in carbon monoxide and spill out, spit out oxygen. Wow, what can we learn like that from our family? Anything negative in your homes? Yeah, when daddy shouts, mommy. Ooh, okay, all right. So what should she do when he shouts? Shout back? No, she should be nice back. Maybe he'll get nice. That's kind of like the, tree, like the leaves, huh? So you learn, you experience the doctrines of God. Every doctrine that we have is so practical, so powerful, but we're usually just talking about it. People get bored with that. I think we, you know, we, we need to recognize and take people out to experience. How much did Jesus preach about the great controversy? How much did he preach about the health message? How much did he preach about the second coming of Christ? A little more there, maybe. But you look at the things. You think about how much he preached, how much he lived. State of the dead, let's raise him from the dead. Well, we might have a harder time with that, but he did say, go and pray. And we know a story of one or two people who have been raised from the dead in the mission field. Good, reliable sources. God is wanting to do miracles. He's wanting to do healings. People say, well, what if I pray and he doesn't answer? Do you think they pray to their gods and don't have answers sometimes? Go down to the shrine, they offer their incense, their money, they pay the monks, nothing happens. I guess I didn't pay enough, or I guess it's because I'm doing this sin on the side. They, it will be okay if God doesn't answer perfectly, but likely he will. He is healing the lame and they are walking again. He is giving visions and dreams to hundreds, even thousands of Muslims across our world. We should be expecting and praying for great things and inviting to try it. What about our words? What about the power of our words? As we speak, do we have this yet? Acts of the Apostles, page 22. After the descent of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were so filled with love for him and for those for whom he died that hearts were melted by the words they spoke and the prayers they offered. Hearts were melted. Melted. They spoke in the power of the Spirit and under the influence of that power, thousands were converted. We know that the work is going to be finished by the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean for us to do? Okay, pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for revival and reformation. We've had this wonderful emphasis for the last four years. Powerful. I saw it go from the GC to the division, Southern Asia Pacific Division, to the Union, to the Mission, to the local church. But, you know, are we kind of done with that now? 7-7, pray in the morning at 7 o'clock, in the evening at 7 we kind of get tired of these things. We forget. Or it's just a quick phrase off our tongue. Please give me the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
It is like being given a bank account and you're given an ATM card and you don't know how much is in there and the ATM doesn't have receipts, so you never know. You stick it in and you get $20 out. Hey, $20 free. Thank you, whoever that was that gave that to me. Next time, maybe I'll try 100 100 okay? If you get satisfied with 100 even 1000 and you don't know there's millions there, this is what it is with the Holy Spirit. I have begun to go, I have been going through the Bible again and again, looking. I've gone through three times now, looking for what the Holy Spirit does when he falls. Great place to start is Acts chapter 2. And just look and to begin to pray for that. And you will find that each piece has a special match to these people of the different places, the different religions. Is our heart, are our words melting hearts yet? Have you seen that yet? I came across the phrase, I don't remember where it is in the Acts of the Apostles or in the Epistles, where it says that Paul went from place to place with tears. Have I gone with tears yet? Have I been calling people to give their heart to Jesus with tears? Do I love people? He said, I would rather that I was accursed for the sake of my brethren. That's like Jesus on the cross. Jesus was dying. He was whispering in his ears, you will not resurrect. Your sin is so offensive to God. You're, you're dying the second death. There is no resurrection from the second death. And Jesus stayed on the cross. He was willing to die forever so he could get you into heaven. That's where Paul was at. And Moses. Blot my name out of the book. Are our hearts there? Have we broken before God to say, I don't love people. I can picture myself on that green bus crazy bus there in tax in thailand going to language class being bumped looked around these people a little irritated i realized i don't love these people i'm a missionary i don't love these people so what do we do we repent see our sins repent say lord i have no love but you have perfect love please come in my heart please fill me with the fruits of the spirit let me love like you and that's the answer. The Holy Spirit is poured out in your life. They see it and they are drawn. The gifts of the Spirit. I don't know how to help anybody with health. Pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for healing, to be able to pray, to be able to make a difference in these lives, in these worlds. God is going to come again and he is going to finish his work. Um, those tongues. You may say, I really don't know what to say. And, and suppose I'm talking and visiting with people. Um, I'm going to just pause and pray again. I've been going fast, really fast. And I want to make sure that what's left, the time that we have left, that God uses it as he wants to. I want to not go so fast that you don't have a time to ask a question or get to certain things. So I just want to pause again. Father, I can feel your passion and your joy now. I'm excited, and, and I believe you're going to finish your work in ways that are way beyond anything we expect. So, Lord, I pray that you take the last 20 minutes that we have together and that you will fashion it. Again, I'm asking that you would say what you want to each of us individually because it will be different. You have a different call in our lives and different things you want us to do with this. We also do not want to leave here just having heard good ideas or good stories without taking and doing something with it. So the next bit that we have, please speak to us individually what you want us to do with it. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI. 
Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.